Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. How do you know if the Master of Arts in Biblical Ministry at Ozark Christian College is right for you? The MA in Biblical Ministry was created to build a solid biblical foundation, helping you dive deep into the text and offering effective ministry strategies to prepare you for whatever calling God has on your life. This degree is affordable and highly flexible. You'll experience a transformational education community unhindered by distance. So what's your next step? Well, it's simple. Learn more and apply for free at occ.edu slash masters. Hey, everybody, you're listening to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and I'm glad you're going to be joining me today. We've been working through all the track sessions from last year's National Disciple Making Forum that we hosted here in Nashville, Tennessee. Today's track session features Navigators Church Ministries. This is their first track session from last year. And Justin Gravett, he's the Dayton, Ohio area director for Navigators. He talked to us about how vitally important it is to have a core team in your church that's supporting the discipleship vision for your church, or it's just not going to last. This was a great episode. He does a lot of crowd participation. I try my best to boost those levels so that you can actually hear them. So let's go ahead and jump in. This is Justin Gravett with Navigators Church Ministries. All right, welcome. Good to see you guys. We all made it up here to the room. Um, we're going to start... Um, just by getting to know each other a little bit. So uh, if you haven't been to this event before, you'll notice that the rooms are different. Uh, there are two rooms uh, that have tables and chairs. This is one of them. Uh, and we insist on that every year because we really believe that disciple making has to be relational. And it's hard to even model that when we're in rows, right? And so that's something super important to us. And we realize that you guys come from all over and have different experiences and so part of our workshops are interactive. We want to hear from you. We believe that all of us are smarter than any of us. And so that any one person, myself or whoever's up here, uh, we can learn from you. And there's no reason to just learn from one person uh, while we're in a space like this together. Uh, my name is Justin Gravett. I'll introduce myself more fully after you guys at your tables. If you're sitting by yourself, please move uh, to a table with other people. Um, and we're going to ask you guys to introduce your name, location, and your favorite scar or candy bar. Okay, so favorite scar you have or the favorite candy bar that you eat. If you're here with the person you know and there's only two people at your table, please move so we can get to know others. Okay, you guys have three minutes. Go. All right. Let's come back together. Um, you are in the Navigators Church Ministries track. So if you think you're somewhere else, check your schedule again. Um, we're excited you're here. My name is Justin Gravett. I've been on Navigator staff for the past 21 years, uh, various stops. Currently, I'm in Dayton, Ohio, uh, working with pastors and churches in disciple making. And we have, as a team, we have 125 practitioners like myself around the country helping pastors and churches 
And really our, our heartbeat is to walk alongside church leaders to help them become disciple makers, but then to help them establish a disciple making culture in their church. And that's what I'm in. That's the world I'm in every day, uh, working with different pastors and helping them with the challenge of building a disciple-making culture. I'm in different denominations with these pastors, different sized churches. And so I've been able to see the challenge of building a disciple-making culture from lots of different angles. Um, and the challenges of it are real, as I'm sure many of you uh, know from an experiential standpoint. Um, we are going to be in that conversation. So not just this workshop, but the next three workshops we're going to be in the conversation around how do I build specifically a foundation that will support a disciple-making culture within a local church? Um, there's a lot of material out there around how to build a disciple-making culture, the process for that. I observed about a year and a half, two years ago, that there's very little out there on how do we actually build a foundation. And what I was seeing in churches and what our teams were seeing in churches is that um, that was something that was being rushed or not even done at all. And as a result, as things spun up in the culture building process, there would be a point where things would begin to fall in on itself. And then all that momentum that the churches thought they had, the pastor had fought hard for, was now gone and they felt like they were back at square one. And I had, had watched that with some of the pastors I've worked with. And I wanted to, and our team wanted to, all right, well, let's bring some more attention to how do we build a foundation, okay? So this first workshop, we're kind of immersing ourselves first in the context of that conversation, but then we're going to be uh, talking about more detailed of how do we get into this foundation process. I wrote uh, an ebook on the discipleship.org website called The Foundation of a Disciple-Making Culture, very cleverly titled, right? Um, but we had these printed up just for this event. The only way you can get one of these is to be at our workshop, which you all are. And so on the way out, you'll be given a coupon and you can get one of these books for free down at our book table. Okay, just fill out your name and email. You will get on our uh, list. It sends out a blog a month, but you can unsubscribe whenever you want if it's not helpful to you. Okay, all right. Um, first thing, let's play a game together. Okay, we like to have fun. We've been sitting a lot today already. So what we're going to do, you were given a card when you walked in, and we're going to play a quick, simple game. Uh, each of you are going to stand up all at the same time. You're going to have two minutes. Uh, and here's the thing you need to know. Uh, first place will be awarded. Okay? There is a prize involved, an actual prize. Okay? So keep that in mind as you're playing. Okay? You have two minutes to sort yourselves. Go. Five, four, three, two, one. Time's up. Time's up. How we do? What happened? What's the criteria? You were supposed to sort yourselves. Did you do it? Yes. How? According to the... How did you sort yourselves? According to suits. Who's according to suit? Raise your hand. Everybody, is there anybody not according to suit? What did, what did you do? What's your name? Sean, what did you do? I decided to go with the king. I'm a king, so I went and I tried to pair myself up for the best hand. Is there another king that you're with? Okay, you and Sam, not the same. Two jacks here. 
Two jacks? Two kings beats two jacks. So we're... Okay, but you guys raised your hand on suits, so now I'm confused. I'm with the uh, diamonds, but I'm standing next to him. <laughs> All right, you're trying to... <laughs> Trying, trying to cover all our bases. Okay, anybody else? Sort yourselves differently. I found some numbers. Six there, six there, and I'm six here. I don't want to stand too close, though. I don't think it's unbiblical. <laughs> <laughs> you're only holding six. Okay. Okay. Who had an ace? Paul, anybody else have an ace? Paul, what'd you do? What was your strategy? We went over here and met by suit, and then we organized... Ace, king, eights. Okay, so suit and a little bit of order. Okay, does anybody have a two? Alan, how'd you handle it? Suit and then got in order like they did, the closest we could. Okay. Trying to get a good straight the... flush run. Yeah, yeah that's that was good. Right. Perfect. Okay, who was the winner? No? No. <laughs> this gentleman right here was the winner. Cam, everybody give Cam a hand. All right, please sit down. No, those are yours. They make a good bookmark, whatever else you want to use it for. Uh, Cam was the clear winner. Why was that? You think this is just a random game that we're playing and I just randomly chose Cam? Man, guys. There is a reason. Davies card matches yours. Tell us your card, Cam. The, uh, the four, hearts. four of hearts. Tell us how you handled the game. Uh, I uh, looked at everyone else to see what they were doing and just tried to follow suit. Right. I appeared that the majority was following a certain culture or mindset of you just find a light suit. So yeah. just go with the numbers. Okay. What's the chance of it being wrong if we're all doing it, right? It was well done. Very well played. Okay. Here's why we're in this game. This game is like disciple making in your church. Okay? Here's how it's like it. We're not clear on the rules or the goal. And when we're not clear on the rules or the goal, we fall back on games we've played before and hope for the best. Right? So most people sorted by suits. I didn't tell you to do that. But you thought back to card games you've played in the past. Suits are somewhat important in most games, and so you sorted yourselves that way. Some people said, well, let's figure out who has the same one, like the gentleman from Goodyear here, Sean, right? Um, so he found another king, found someone who was like-hearted. When we're not clear on the goal or the rules, we fall back to games we've played before and we hope for the best. And then you know what we do after that? We look around town, around the country, and we figure out who's winning. And we try to do it like them. We try to do it like that, even though we don't know why they're winning or why they won. We don't even define it. The way we define it is the way that most churches define most things is more equals better. And that's what we do a lot of times in church world, right? More equals better. If I were to ask you guys to list out your disciple-making dreams for your church, most of you would incorporate more. And that would be one of the primary functions is how you would define progress, right? So here's another part of the game though. Uh, I wanna know why you guys chose to play. Trust me, you. Okay, trust in me. To win, okay. Okay. So, 
part of the group. Be kind of awkward if you were like the only one sitting down refusing to play, right? Everybody's like, yeah, I don't know about that guy. Um, and in the same way, churches and pastors play disciple making for different reasons. And the reason they get involved is different. And the reason we'll get through it, get into some of those differences, but um, it impacts what happens after. So if you haven't found these yet, these are in the middle. There's some notes in here for you um, for each of our workshops, not just the first one. Uh, the first three questions here, we're going to skip over. We're going to use that for when you're at home. Um, so you can skip to the second page um, where the five disciple making games. Another way to say this is five ways or five reasons that pastors and churches start to go down the road of disciple making. Okay, the first reason, survival. So there are some churches in the, in the world today that are really struggling. They're struggling to get new members in and to just keep their doors open. And so they are grasping. They're trying to figure out how do we, how do we stay afloat here? We've tried X, Y, and Z, and those didn't work. And I hear a lot about discipleship these days and disciple making. Let's start going down that trail, and maybe that will help us revitalize our people and draw some others in. And so their primary motivation is just to survive. It's just to survive. Second game, attractional. So that church is, is okay. They're not in danger of dying like the first church, but this church is trying to attract people in. And in the church landscape, there's more and more around disciple making. And so they think, well, I got to have a church that has disciple making. And so if we don't have that, people aren't going to come in and they're not going to grow. And if we're going to grow as a church, right, growth equals good, then we need disciple making. And so we want to help our people be disciples to help other people come in. Third game, spiritual leaders. Some churches have recognized that they're pretty good at gathering, not so good at developing leaders who can help pull the weight of leadership in the church. Some say, well, we have a lot of older elders and we're having trouble finding younger elders. And we really need to learn about disciple making so we can invest in the younger generation and get them ready to lead in the church. Another game, spiritual leaders. Uh, fourth one, missional. The missional game is to get out. We want to get out and bless people wherever, they at, wherever they're at. And so we need to focus on discipleship so that we can help our people learn how to get out and talk to other people about the gospel. Not bad, right? So just to be clear, none of these are bad things, right? But we're talking about the primary heart motivation, what is moving the church leadership to get engaged in disciple making. Fifth one, generational. The generational discipleship is we want to win people to Christ, build them to maturity, and send them out. Hey, that looks and feels a lot like what Jesus did, right? But this is super important because as I engage with pastors and churches, even the ones that are coming to me and talking to me about discipleship and disciple making, I'll ask questions about, well, why are, why are we even in the conversation? What brought your church to the table that you guys want to have this conversation and move down this road? And I typically hear one of these five things. And honestly, normally it's one of four. 
But if we aren't focused on making disciples like Jesus makes disciples, then the way that we're going to make them is different. Right? Why you want to make a disciple determines how you want to make a disciple. Why you want to make a disciple determines how. If you don't have clarity on the goal, you're going to fall back on games you've played before and hope for the best. And so you can see even in these disciple-making games, they're games that are familiar to us in church world. And so a lot of times when some churches, they're moving down the road of disciple-making, and really all they're doing is changing vocabulary. And so they're still trying to attract people in the attractional model of church. But now they, instead of a small groups pastor or community pastor, they have a discipleship pastor. And we just change language. And, and we, spring, we roll up another program and push it out to the people. The goal is, as you guys know, to make disciples who make disciples, who are doing it out of obedience to Jesus. Um, and really, if we don't get it out to the regular person in the church, then it falls in on itself. Okay. Um, here's why this is so important. Too often churches learn the hard way. They learn the hard way. That discipleship cannot be a program if it's going to become a culture. You know, what I've seen over and over is pick, pick the program or curriculum. Let's roll it out to the church. Let's get people involved in uh, small groups or twos or threes or fours or fives. And as part of it, we will have a covenant and we'll all make these agreements of what we're going to do together. And part of the covenant is at the end, you're going to go do this group with somebody else. And all that looks really good. And it looks really good sometimes for years because there's some engagement and some movement in the church. And there's um, more and more of these discipleship-focused groups that are springing up and seem to be doing well. But then something happens. And what happens normally happens two, three, sometimes four or five years down the road where the people in the church that's going to be in those groups have done them. And then they come and they start asking, okay, well, we did this, we did this discipleship thing, now what's next? And then you're like, well, what do you mean? Well, they've just been engaged. They've been falling back to games they've played before, just like we all do. Right? And the games that they know are small groups, programs, and curriculum, not life change that's rooted down into a way of living and being. And so what we've learned um, is if we're going to change that cycle, then we have to establish a foundation and what we've found is the foundation that needs to be laid is a foundation of core, a core team, a core team. Uh, we're not the only ones to observe this. Okay, so if you're familiar with the Reveal Survey or Renovo, we had uh, a couple years ago at this event, Callie Parkinson, who's one of the um, founding people of Reveal, um, share. And what, what they have seen is if you look at this illustration up on the screens behind me, um, Church, churches function on these few things, right? Five principles to get your people going. And so we try to get them moving. We're embedding the Bible. We're creating ownership. We're pastoring the community. And churches can spend all their time focused on those things. 
And what Reveal has found and what we have found is that the key determiner of whether a, a church develops a strong disciple-making culture is the core team. Now, this particular slide says core team of leaders. We'll be talking about a core team that's not just leaders in the staff sense, but also a, um, people who are everyday disciples in your church. But this is how it, it ties together with what we started with, is because if we aren't focused on making disciples to make disciples for the betterment of the kingdom, then our whys can be different, the why. And if our why is different, the how is different. And if our how and our why are different, then it's going to change the difference in how we're measuring and the goals that we have. So in the ebook, I, I talk about uh, core team as an acronym, stands for common vision, owned individually, relationally resilient, and enduring to the end. And these core teams are difficult to develop, but once we have one, it will support the weight of a disciple-making culture in a local church. In our next workshop, Pastor Dave, who is a, a pastor I've been working with for a number of years in Dayton, is going to share about his church's journey in developing a core team. Okay. Question. Can you share that acronym? Yes, sir. Common vision. Owned individually. Relationally resilient. Enduring to the end. Core team. Um, again, when you leave, you'll get a coupon for this ebook that's now printed as well for you guys. Um, and you'll be able to read lots about that um, in that book. Uh, Dave, will you go to the three circle illustration? I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, um, but this is the process that Navigators Church Ministries goes through with churches that we work with. So we start with the leadership core. Again, common vision, owned individually, relationally resilient, endured to the end. And it's not until we have a core that we can begin to focus on the culture. And once we, we move forward into the culture, then we're changing significant pieces of what disciple making looks and feels like in the local church. Um, we're gonna jump down deeper into what that core is in just a moment. And then we move out to the focus into the local community. If disciple making stuck in the church, it will die. It's just a matter of time, just a matter of time. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. Okay, so at your tables, I want you guys to talk about for five minutes, what is the difference between a team and a group? What is the difference between a team and a group? 
All right, let's come back together, learn from one another. What's the difference between a team and a group? What did you guys come up with? Teams are selective, not inclusive. Okay, teams are selective, not inclusive. I like it. What else? A team has goal or mission in mind. Mm-hmm. There's a goal or a mission. And A is a, an important, could be A or a few, right? But it's not we all have our own, right? Good. We had said that they're in agreement. Mm hmm. So there's agreement, commonality, buy-in, right, around that purpose. Well, and that that purpose is great enough that the relational conflicts need to be addressed. Hmm. Because mm -hmm. you can't you can't just walk out because the purpose is too important. Oh, I like that. So the the mission is important enough and big enough in everyone's eyes that they're unwilling to walk away from it because of relational conflict or difficulty. Those are my words, but what you said, your ideas. <laughs> we use the word committed. Committed? Uh-huh. Good. Someone who champions. Someone who champions. Tell us more. What do you mean in a team context on that? Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Skip was someone who believed in Right. Okay. So he supported you and he helped you move forward. Tremendous. Yeah. Someone over here. I heard. Uh, I just said uh, um, we had a higher commitment level as a team. Higher commitment level. Yes. Good. A team is a group, but a group isn't necessarily a team. Ah. Okay. So a team is a group, but a group is not necessarily a team. And I would say a, a, a group would be, you know, kind of united around a common ground. Yeah. Where a team has got a common purpose, like, like we, what's already been said. And, and everybody on that team has a role. You expect that there's an accountability level that you're supposed to fulfill your role as opposed to a group where you can come and discuss and then go out. Right. Yeah. Very good. So there's roles that they play to support the whole, right? And move the team forward and the mission forward. Yeah. Well, and we were, we were talking, I was thinking about like back in, in school a long time ago, having group projects. It was a lot different if every if every, your entire group got the same grade together mm. versus everybody got the same, got their own individual grade. Yeah. Because if it was just my grade, then I don't really care what anybody else is doing. I'm going to get, I'm going to get my part done, but right. the team is going to win together or they're going to fail together. I like that. So there's a sense of interdependence, right? We win together, we lose together. Yep. The future depends on us. My future depends on us, not just on me. Right? Jonathan, do you have something? Also, um, especially in a sports context, practice or prepare for game day, however you want to think about those. Yeah. So there's practice involved. So learning how to work together, acquiring skills together, right? learning how to leverage each other's strengths and to cover each other's weaknesses. So we're in this conversation around group or team because I can say team up here. I've said it the whole time. And I guarantee you, a lot of you in your minds are picturing a group. Because in churches, we do groups. That's what we do, right? Almost every church I know, there's small group ministry. And sometimes I, I like to poke and prod some pastors I work with. I say, 
show me in Scripture where there's small groups. You know, every church has them. They must be all over the place. And I said, well, Acts 2. And I said, well, let's look at that. And not exactly what you guys are doing, right? And I said, well, the, the best one I can see is Jesus and his men, right? As far as a small group. Well, why did they exist? Well, it's real clear, isn't it? Matthew 4.19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. And their, their common vision was dependent on one another moving forward. Now, as I build core teams and help pastors build core teams to support a foundation of disciple making, they will consistently revert back to groups. Because again, what happens if we're not clear on the goal or the rules? We revert back to games we played before and hope for the best. We will revert back over and over and over again. Guys I've been working with and discipling for years, and now we're doing a core team together. In the middle of the core team meeting, they will say, our group. And I'll say, what was that? Our team, our team. But it's a big difference. It's a huge difference. The people in your churches, when they join what you advertise for them as a core team, they are joining a group in their minds. And they will show up as if they are joining a group. Even if you, you'll explain it. I was with a team a month and a half ago. We've been going for six months now, meeting every other week. And we said super clearly at the front, this is a team, not a group. We were in this conversation. It was an hour conversation with 10 people. Uh, we had eight, eight of the same people there uh, six months later. And I said, guys, you know, what are we doing here? How would you guys characterize what this is? And what do you think they said? Some said group. What else? What other adjectives do you think came out? Class. Ministry we didn't have, but wouldn't, wouldn't be a stretch. That was the class. Really enjoying this class. I said, you're not in a class. I don't know what you're enjoying, but this is not a class. Because we revert back. And the church members that you guys have, when you invite them into a core team, they are joining a group in their minds unless you hammer it over and over and over again. This is a team, not a group. This is not a class. Yeah. Um, just for, for clarification, you're not talking about one, like, because the word core often like the, the middle central thing. Yep. But a church can have multiple core teams. I just want to clarify how you're using the. Yeah, very good question. Um, so this is in the middle. So this is what we're talking about. We're talking about a core team here that's going to support disciple making in your church. It is not only leaders. It's not only staff. It's everyday people in a mix, right? So we have some staff, some elders, some everyday people, some older people, some younger people, some men, some women. As much diversity as you have in your church, you want to have on this core team. Uh, you should probably have one of these teams per 300 people in your church, um, but they need to be developed by disciple makers. You cannot have a core team that's not developed by a disciple maker. It doesn't work. Now, what I mean, though, and that's a good clarifier, what I mean by they show up as a group, you'll see it because they will come when it's convenient for them. And maybe a month or two down the road, oh, I'm supposed to have dinner with my parents tonight, I can't make it. Oh, it's my, my daughter's birthday that night, I can't make it. Oh, my son has a soccer game that night, I can't make it. Well, 
Let me ask you guys this. If you're on a sports team and you have a game that night, are you calling up your coach or sending a text? Coach, I can't make it. I got dinner with my parents tonight. No. You're not because you feel that you are, the other teammates are depending on you to be there. And you know that your absence not only affects you, it affects everybody else on that team. But a lot of times in this context, when we use the word team, we, sh we don't put that, we don't think about that. And so it's not that you can never miss, there's some legitimate reasons to miss, but the way that you enter that conversation is very different than shooting off a text or an email, right? And sometimes they only give you reasons. Sorry, I can't make it tonight. Well, we never do that. But if we're going to have a, a foundation that supports disciple making, we need a team that's united on all those things you guys talked about. What's our mission? How are we defining success here? What are the roles that we're going to play? How can we depend upon each other and encourage and push each other forward? How are we going to hold each other accountable? The mess that we bring into the team, how are we going to deal with that when it start, uh, starts affecting others? You know, that's a hard one for pastors and leaders of these teams, right? Are we just going to sweep it under and like, you know, just pretend it doesn't exist? Are we going to have a side conversation and invite them off the team and not, not explain to the rest of the team why that person's now gone? I mean, I've seen all this stuff happen. Right? And it gets down deep into who we are, not only as leaders of these teams, but as the people who are on the teams. We're not just teaching you something like a class would do. We're helping you become something. And my son is learning, well, he's five, he's learning all sorts of sports. Um, but he's talking about wanting to be a baseball player. Dad, I don't want to be a player. I know how to throw the ball and I hit the I want to be a baseball player. We have family rule, you can't join organized sports till you're five, which is next summer for him. So, so that was that conversation. He's ready now. Yeah. Okay. Clarifying questions. What are you hearing? What questions are coming up for you? Well, I, I don't know if it's a comment or a question, but I would assume if you're starting this in a church that everybody's not going to, and even things you've said have suggested this, everybody's not going to grasp it all from day one. There's going to be a process of inculcating and, and, and growing in their understanding of your vision for the group, for the team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we co-create that partially, right? So as the leader, yeah, the pastor, so I'm not, to be clear, I don't lead any of these teams. The lead pastors lead them, and I help the lead pastor lead them, or sometimes discipleship pastor, whoever's leading it. Um, but we have an idea where we're going, and we're inviting them into that on the invitation, right? So this is what you're stepping into. But then some of the early team meetings is talking about, well, what is a team? What kind of team are we going to be? What are we going to expect from one another? Now, there's a lot of curriculum out there that has those laid out for you. We don't use those. We develop them with the people in the room. Well, do I, do I understand that from that answer that if your lead pastor is not fully on board, that there's not a place for this in the congregation? No. Uh, what I would say to that is if the lead pastor is not on board, you can have a disciple-making ministry in your church. Uh, you cannot have a disciple-making culture. 
And so you can still develop a team and move disciple-making forward and have real significant impact in the church and the lives of people in the church. But if you're going to expect the church culture to move around disciple-making and the lead guy's not on board, I've never seen it happen. Yeah, but it's still really valuable, right, to do a ministry. You take what you can get sometimes. And sometimes what happens is if you develop a ministry, the lead pastor has to deal with that at some point. Man, what are you doing over there? I just see a lot of life change. And guys are always coming up and people are telling me and then there starts to be an opening. But that's a long game to play, right? And so we start where we can. Justin, what did you mean by uh, one team per 300 people? Yeah. So, and that's uh, obviously not scientific answer. But um, so if you have, I'm working with churches as small as 200 people all the way up to 1,800 people in Dayton, Ohio, which 1,800 is fairly big in my area. Um, we are having a team, a foundation, right? It's another way we could talk about it. You're not going to support a, found, a culture of 1,800 to 2,000 people with a core team of 10. It's just not enough, right? And so part of what the core team functions as is as they develop a culture in this core team, they are exporting that culture to the broader church culture. And so I suppose it, it would work conceptually, um, but the layout of time is way longer, right? So if you and, and one church, I'm working with 1,200 people, we have three uh, core teams that we've started together at the same time. They know they're going on, but they're not you know, in the same meetings, obviously. But they're getting the same stuff and getting on the same page together. And so... It's that, how are we going to impact the rest of the church culture with these teams? So, yep. looking at the model here that you have on this, mm -hmm. you may not have, you could come to my church and there may be 1,200 people, and you may not have a core team lar larger than 10. Maybe that's it, you know? So then you start small and, and following the process here, new leaders come, you create a new core team to better support the congregation and those new believers coming into the church. Is that how you're developing those teams as well? Not just I, I have 30 or 40 or 50 people available to right. staff because maybe they need some training as well. Yes. Yep. Yep. So you're getting a sense already that this looks different in different churches, right? So what we do is not a programmatic approach. It's a process that we adapt to the needs of the church and the culture of the church. One of the favorite things about what I do, I was a missionary in Asia for a number of years, and so I love studying culture. And every church I go into, I'm studying culture. What's happening there, why it's happening, what are the important things, what are the obstacles, and how do we move disciple-making forward best here? So, good questions. Other questions right now, yeah? Yeah, great. This is a great opportunity for a cliffhanger um, because Dave is going to get into that in the next workshop. Um, but I will give this hint that 
um, we're picking the best team for what we're trying to do, right? So it's not necessarily, I'm not necessarily finding the, the 10 most mature people in the culture I could find, right? But Dave will get into that a lot more uh, next hour. Yeah. Can you guys provide any resources, written resources to help the elders convince a senior pastor of the benefits of moving forward in discipleship? Yes, we do have some of those. Um, uh, the one, the ebook I wrote uh, would be one of those. There's a book called, um, oh, we just recently rebranded it. Uh, it's on our website, navigatorschurchministries.com. Uh, something about crockpots or Instapot. We changed that. Thank you. Somebody's read it. Donnie, thank you. Crockpot, Disciple Making. It's free download on our, on our website. Um, so those are some of the resources we have for that. Yeah. What, what do you call the teams that may form from the congregation subsequent to the core teams work? You know, the, whatever you would call them, I assume you call them teams, discipleship teams or what, but that would form as a result of the work of the core team. Good question. We leave that entirely to the church. So we've heard all sorts. We've had disciple-making teams. We've had disciple-making cohorts. We've had alongside of groups from... Um, this resource, one that we use a lot in churches, The Ways of the Alongsider, is written by uh, one of our staff guys, Bill Mowry. Um, 2.7 we've used quite a bit in churches um, as well. So it just depends on what how the church wants to do that. But those do have a different function in the church than the core team. Absolutely, yep. So the core team later on in the process, and you can see from this, they are in the discussion for developing a picture of a disciple for the church developing a pathway for the church. Now, it doesn't mean the church doesn't already have one, but as the team that's going to champion and build disciple-making and owning it in the church, they need a crack at looking at that and speaking into it. And so that's part of what that core team does that other teams wouldn't necessarily be doing. Yeah. So how does that work when there's multiple core teams? Yep. Like for, for a larger for a larger congregation, it might have two or three. Yep. Yeah, so what happens is in a larger congregation, there's two or three teams. They're independent, but when they get into those conversations, they're coming together in that space and talking through those things together. So independently, they're reinforcing the common vision. The, the common, okay. Yep. Yep. So the core team is not a multiplying body itself. It doesn't replicate itself. Right. It works to build the culture within, like you said, whatever type of teams or whatever type of... Yes. However the practice or the application of the culture goes. Correct. Yep. Now, the core team members are making disciples. So they are multiplying. If they aren't discipling someone or a couple someone's, then they're not a fit for the core team. Now, it doesn't mean before they get on it, they have to be. But part of the initial process, you know, with them is we're assuming they're not disciple makers when they come onto the team. And it's the pastor's job to help them become that. And so in our process, the way it looks is I start with the pastor off the page or off this illustration. Because there's a lot of pastors that want to learn disciple making who have never been discipled. And so I model that for them and help them with that, help them become disciple makers. Once they are disciple making, then we can start on this page. That's how we do it, okay? Um, and what that does then is it says to the pastor, okay, so you know what we've been doing together 
you're doing it with these few guys over here. Now you're going to do that with this team, and I'm going to help you do it with this team. Like, okay. And so that's the process. So once they're on the team for a while, they are multiplying in their own life, but the team itself does not multiply. All right, we got time for a couple more questions, and then we're going to spend some time on application. Does the rest of the congregation know about the core team who's on those? Depends on the size of the church most of the time. Um, it's not something that needs to be known, but it's not something we need to hide either. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, recording. So the question was, do, does the church, do they need to know who's on the core team? or that it's happening uh, broadly? Thanks, Ed. These are really good questions. I feel like we're scratching the surface together, and we are, and my hope is that you guys are going to stick with us through these next three workshops so that we can get down into the details, and you can hear how it played out. Uh, that's our next workshop, how it's played out in one church, uh, what that looked like, developing the core team, things that we've learned, uh, particularly from Centerville Grace, uh, I'd like us to spend uh, the next three minutes um, just silently reflecting uh, before the Lord on what you heard. What did God raise up to your level of attention that he wants you to hang on to and to, to think more about, to do something about, etc. So let's do that. I'll keep our time and then I'll close us in prayer. Lord Jesus, the mission you call us into is... It's so big. Or we're so privileged to be a part of building your kingdom. Lord, I pray for us in this room. I pray for the churches that, that we come from and are going back to. Or would you continue to ignite our hearts for you? Or would you give us vision and passion to invest deeply in people? Or that it wouldn't be enough for us as individuals or for our people to, to go through good content and to hear good ideas and to learn new things. But Lord, would you help us to become like you? Or would you help us to become disciple makers? And would you bless the fruit of our labors, 30, 60, and 100 fold? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. I always enjoy our time together. That sounds weird, but I said it, so whatever. It's true. Hey, if you haven't already clicked subscribe to this podcast, I would love to encourage you to do that so that you can stay up to date each time I release a new episode. All right, y'all. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>